What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prefatory letter to J. Halford Esquire of the Tenant of Wildfell Hall, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. Prefatory Letter to J. Halford, Esquire. Dear Halford, When we were together last, you gave me a very particular and interesting account of the most remarkable occurrences of your early life previous to our acquaintance and then you requested a return of confidence from me not being in a story-telling humour at the time i declined under the plea of having nothing to tell and the like shuffling excuses which were regarded as wholly inadmissible by you for though you instantly turned the conversation it was with an air of an uncomplaining but deeply injured man and your face was overshadowed with a cloud which darkened it to the end of our interview and for what i know darkens it still for your letters have ever since been distinguished by a certain dignified semi-melancholy stiffness and reserve that would have been very affecting if my conscience had accused me of deserving it are you not ashamed old boy at your age and when we have known each other so intimately and so long and when i have already given you so many proofs of frankness and confidence and never resented your comparative closeness and taciturnity but there it is i suppose you are not naturally communicative and you thought you had done great things and given an unparalleled proof of friendly confidence on that memorable occasion which doubtless you have sworn shall be the last of the kind and you deemed that the smallest return i could make for so mighty a favour would be to follow your example without a moment's hesitation well i did not take up my pen to reproach you nor to defend myself nor to apologize for past offences but if possible to atone for them it is a soaking rainy day the family are absent on a visit i am alone in my library and have been looking over certain musty old letters and papers and musing on past times so that i am now in a very proper frame of mind for amusing you with an old-world story and having withdrawn my well-roasted feet from the hobs wheeled round to the table and indicted the above lines to my crusty old friend i am about to give him a sketch no not a sketch a full and faithful account of certain circumstances connected with the most important event of my life 
previous to my acquaintance with jack halford at least and when you have read it charge me with ingratitude and unfriendly reserve if you can i know you like a long story and are as great a stickler for particularities and circumstantial details as my grandmother so i will not spare you my own patience and leisure shall be my only limits among the letters and papers i spoke of there is a certain faded old journal of mine which i mention by way of assurance that i have not my memory alone tenacious as it is to depend upon in order that your credulity may not be too severely taxed in following me through the minute details of my narrative to begin then at once with chapter first for it shall be a tale of many chapters end of prefatory letter to j halford esq recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter one of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter one you must go back with me to the autumn of eighteen twenty seven my father as you know was a sort of gentleman farmer in blankshire and i by his express desire succeeded him in the same quiet occupation not very willingly for ambition urged me to higher aims and self-conceit assured me that in disregarding its voice i was burying my talent in the earth and hiding my light under a bushel my mother had done her utmost to persuade me that i was capable of great achievements but my father who thought ambition was the surest road to ruin and change but another word for destruction would listen to no scheme for bettering either my own condition or that of my fellow-mortals he assured me it was all rubbish and exhorted me with his dying breath to continue in the good old way to follow his steps and those of his father before him and let my highest ambition be to walk honestly through the world looking neither to the right hand nor to the left and to transmit the paternal acres to my children in at least as flourishing a condition as he left them to me well an honest and industrious farmer is one of the most useful members of society and if i devote my talents to the cultivation of my farm and the improvement of agriculture in general i shall thereby benefit not only my own immediate connections and dependents but in some degree mankind at large hence i shall not have lived in vain with such reflections as these i was endeavouring to console myself as i plodded home from the fields one cold damp cloudy evening towards the close of october but the gleam of a bright red fire through the parlour window had more effect in cheering my spirits and rebuking my thankless repinings than all the sage reflections and good resolutions i had forced my mind to frame for i was young then remember only four-and-twenty and had not acquired half the rule over my own spirit that i now possess trifling as that may be however that haven of bliss must not be entered till i had exchanged my miry boots for a clean pair of shoes and my rough surtout for a respectable coat and made myself generally presentable before decent society for my mother with all her kindness was vastly particular on certain points in ascending to my room i was met upon the stairs by a smart pretty girl of nineteen 
with a tidy dumpy figure a round face bright blooming cheeks glossy clustering curls and little merry brown eyes i need not tell you this was my sister rose she is i know a comely matron still and doubtless no less lovely in your eyes than on the happy day you first beheld her nothing told me then that she a few years hence would be the wife of one entirely unknown to me as yet but destined hereafter to become a closer friend than even herself more intimate than that unmannerly lad of seventeen by whom i was collared in the passage on coming down and well-nigh jerked off my equilibrium and who in correction for his impudence received a resounding whack over the sconce which however sustained no serious injury from the infliction as besides being more than commonly thick it was protected by a redundant shock of short reddish curls that my mother called auburn on entering the parlour we found that honoured lady seated in her armchair at the fireside working away at her knitting according to her usual custom when she had nothing else to do she had swept the hearth and made a bright blazing fire for our reception the servant had just brought in the tea-tray and rose was producing the sugar-basin and tea-caddy from the cupboard in the black oak sideboard that shone like polished ebony in the cheerful parlour twilight well here they both are cried my mother looking round upon us without retarding the motion of her nimble fingers and glittering needles now shut the door and come to the fire while rose gets the tea ready i'm sure you must be starved and tell me what you've been about all day i like to know what my children have been about i've been breaking in the grey colt no easy business that directing the ploughing of the last wheat stubble for the ploughboy has not the sense to direct himself and carrying out a plan for the extensive and efficient draining of the low meadowlands that's my brave boy and fergus what have you been doing badger baiting and here he proceeded to give a particular account of his sport and the respective traits of prowess evinced by the badger and the dogs my mother pretending to listen with deep attention and watching his animated countenance with a degree of maternal admiration i thought highly disproportioned to its object it's time you should be doing something else fergus said i as soon as a momentary pause in his narration allowed me to get in a word what can i do replied he my mother won't let me go to sea or enter the army and i'm determined to do nothing else except make myself such a nuisance to you all that you will be thankful to get rid of me on any terms our parents soothingly stroked his stiff short curls he growled and tried to look sulky and then we all took our seats at the table in obedience to the thrice repeated summons of rose now take your tea said she and i'll tell you what i've been doing i've been to call on the wilsons and it's a thousand pities you didn't go with me gilbert for eliza millward was there well what of her oh nothing i'm not going to tell you about her only that she's a nice amusing little thing when she's in a merry humour and i shouldn't mind calling her hush hush my dear your brother has no such idea whispered my mother earnestly holding up her finger well resumed rose i was going to tell you an important piece of news i heard there i have been bursting with it ever since you know it was reported a month ago that somebody was going to take wildfell hall and what do you think it has actually been inhabited above a week and we never knew impossible cried my mother preposterous shrieked fergus it has indeed and by a single lady good gracious my dear the place is in ruins 
she has had two or three rooms made habitable and there she lives all alone except an old woman for a servant oh dear that spoils it i'd hoped she was a witch observed fergus while carving his inch-thick slice of bread and butter nonsense fergus but isn't it strange mamma strange i can hardly believe it but you may believe it for jane wilson has seen her she went with her mother who of course when she heard of a stranger being in the neighbourhood would be on pins and needles till she had seen her and got all she could out of her she is called mrs graham and she is in mourning not widow's weeds but slightish mourning and she is quite young they say not above five or six and twenty but so reserved they tried all they could to find out who she was and where she came from and all about her but neither mrs wilson with her pertinacious and impertinent home thrusts nor miss wilson with her skilful manoeuvring could manage to elicit a single satisfactory answer or even a casual remark or chance expression calculated to allay their curiosity or throw the faintest light of light upon her history circumstances or connections moreover she was barely civil to them and evidently better pleased to say good-bye than how do you do but eliza millward says her father intends to call upon her soon to offer some pastoral advice which he fears she needs as though she is known to have entered the neighbourhood early last week she did not make her appearance at church on sunday and she eliza that is will beg to accompany him and is sure she can succeed in wheedling something out of her you know gilbert she can do anything and we should call some time mamma it's only proper you know oh, of course my dear poor thing how lonely she must feel and pray be quick about it and mind you bring me word how much sugar she puts in her tea and what sort of caps and aprons she wears and all about it for i don't know how i can live till i know said fergus very gravely but if he intended the speech to be hailed as a master stroke of wit he signally failed for nobody laughed however he was not much disconcerted at that for when he had taken a mouthful of bread and butter and was about to swallow a gulp of tea the humour of the thing burst upon him with such irresistible force that he was obliged to jump up from the table and rush snorting and choking from the room and a minute after was heard screaming in fearful agony in the garden as for me i was hungry and contented myself with silently demolishing the tea ham and toast while my mother and sister went on talking and continued to discuss the apparent or non-apparent circumstances and probable or improbable history of the mysterious lady but i must confess that after my brother's misadventure i once or twice raised the cup to my lips and put it down again without daring to taste the contents lest i should injure my dignity by a similar explosion the next day my mother and rose hastened to pay their compliments to the fair recluse and came back but little wiser than they went though my mother declared she did not regret the journey for if she had not gained much good she flattered herself she had imparted some and that was better she had given some useful advice which she hoped would not be thrown away for mrs graham though she said little to any purpose and appeared somewhat self-opinionated seemed not incapable of reflection though she did not know where she had been all her life poor thing for she betrayed a lamentable ignorance on certain points and had not even the sense to be ashamed of it on what points mother asked i oh on household matters and all the little niceties of cookery and such things that every lady ought to be familiar with whether she be required to make a practical use of her knowledge or not 
i gave her some useful pieces of information however and several excellent receipts the value of which she evidently could not appreciate for she begged i would not trouble myself as she lived in such a plain quiet way that she was sure she should never make use of them no matter my dear said i it is what every respectable female ought to know and besides though you are alone now you will not be always so you have been married and probably i might say almost certainly will be again you are mistaken there ma'am said she almost haughtily i am certain i never shall but i told her i knew better some romantic young widow i suppose said i come there to end her days in solitude and mourn in secret for the dear departed but it won't last long no i think not observed rose for she didn't seem very disconsolate after all and she's excessively pretty handsome rather you must see her gilbert you will call her a perfect beauty though you could hardly pretend to discover a resemblance between her and eliza millward well i can imagine many faces more beautiful than eliza's though not more charming i allow she has small claims to perfection but then i maintain that if she were more perfect she would be less interesting and so you prefer her faults to other people's perfections just so saving my mother's presence oh my dear gilbert what nonsense you talk i know you don't mean it it's quite out of the question said my mother getting up and bustling out of the room under pretence of household business in order to escape the contradiction that was trembling on my tongue after that rose favoured me with further particulars respecting mrs graham her appearance manners and dress and the very furniture of the room she inhabited were all set before me with rather more clearness and precision than i cared to see them but as i was not a very attentive listener i could not repeat the description if i would the next day was saturday and on sunday everybody wondered whether or not the fair unknown would profit by the vicar's remonstrance and come to church i confess i looked with some interest myself towards the old family pew appertaining to wildfell hall where the faded crimson cushions and lining had been unpressed and unrenewed so many years and the grim escutcheons with their lugubrious borders of rusty black cloth frowned so sternly from the wall above and there i beheld a tall lady-like figure clad in black her face was towards me and there was something in it which once seen invited me to look again her hair was raven black and disposed in long glossy ringlets a style of coiffure quite unusual in those days but always graceful and becoming her complexion was clear and pale her eyes i could not see for being bent upon her prayer-book they were concealed by their drooping lids and long black lashes but the brows above were expressive and well defined the forehead was lofty and intellectual the nose a perfect aquiline and the features in general unexceptionable only there was a slight hollowness about the cheeks and eyes and the lips though finely formed were a little too thin a little too firmly compressed and had something about them that betokened i thought no very soft or amiable temper and i said in my heart i would rather admire you from this distance fair lady than be the partner of your home just then she happened to raise her eyes and they met mine i did not choose to withdraw my gaze and she turned again to her book but with a momentary indefinable expression of quiet scorn that was inexpressibly provoking to me she thinks me an impudent puppy thought i <laughs> she shall change her mind before long if i think it worth while 
but then it flashed upon me that these were very improper thoughts for a place of worship and that my behaviour on the present occasion was anything but what it ought to be previous however to directing my mind to the service i glanced round the church to see if any one had been observing me but no all who were not attending to their prayer-books were attending to the strange lady my good mother and sister among the rest and mrs wilson and her daughter and even eliza millward was slyly glancing from the corners of her eyes towards the object of general attraction then she glanced at me simpered a little and blushed modestly looked at her prayer-book and endeavoured to compose her features here i was transgressing again and this time i was made sensible of it by a sudden dig in the ribs from the elbow of my pert brother for the present i could only resent the insult by pressing my foot upon his toes deferring further vengeance till we got out of church now halford before i close this letter i'll tell you who eliza millward was she was a vicar's younger daughter and a very engaging little creature for whom i felt no small degree of partiality and she knew it though i had never come to any direct explanation and had no definite intention of so doing for my mother who maintained there was no one good enough for me within twenty miles round who could not bear the thoughts of my marrying that insignificant little thing who in addition to her numerous other disqualifications had not twenty pounds to call her own eliza's figure was at once slight and plump her face small and nearly as round as my sister's complexion something similar to hers but more delicate and less decidedly blooming nose retroussé features generally irregular and altogether she was rather charming than pretty but her eyes i must not forget those remarkable features for therein her chief attraction lay in outward aspect at least they were long and narrow in shape the irids black or very dark brown the expression various and ever-changing but always either preternaturally i had almost said diabolically wicked or irresistibly bewitching often both her voice was gentle and childish her tread light and soft as that of a cat but her manners more frequently resembled those of a pretty playful kitten that is now pert and roguish now timid and demure according to its own sweet will her sister mary was several years older several inches taller and of a larger coarser build a plain quiet sensible girl who had patiently nursed their mother through her last long tedious illness and been the housekeeper and family drudge from thence to the present time she was trusted and valued by her father loved and courted by all dogs cats children and poor people and slighted and neglected by everybody else the rev michael millward himself was a tall ponderous elderly gentleman who placed a shovel hat above his large square massive featured face carried a stout walking-stick in his hand and encased his still powerful limbs in knee-breeches and gaiters or black silk stockings on state occasions he was a man of fixed principles strong prejudices and regular habits intolerant of dissent in any shape acting under a firm conviction that his opinions were always right and whoever differed from them must be either most deplorably ignorant or wilfully blind in childhood i had always been accustomed to regard him with a feeling of reverential awe but lately even now surmounted for though he had a fatherly kindness for the well-behaved he was a strict disciplinarian and had often sternly reproved our juvenile failings and peccadilloes 
and moreover in those days whenever he called upon our parents we had to stand up before him and say our catechism or repeat how doth the little busy bee or some other hymn or worse than all be questioned about his last text and the heads of the discourse which we could never remember sometimes the worthy gentleman would reprove my mother for being overindulgent to her sons with a reference to old eli or david and absalom which was particularly galling to her feelings and very highly as she respected him in all his sayings i once heard her exclaim i wish to goodness he had a son himself he wouldn't be so ready with his advice to other people then he'd see what it is to have a couple of boys to keep in order he had a laudable care for his own bodily health kept very early hours regularly took a walk before breakfast was vastly particular about warm and dry clothing had never been known to preach a sermon without previously swallowing a raw egg albeit he was gifted with good lungs and a powerful voice and was generally extremely particular about what he ate and drank though by no means abstemious in having a mode of dietary peculiar to himself being a great despiser of tea and such slops and a patron of malt liquors bacon and eggs ham hung beef and other strong meats which agreed well enough with his digestive organs and therefore were maintained by him to be good and wholesome for everybody and confidently recommended to the most delicate convalescents or dyspeptics who if they failed to derive the promised benefit from his prescriptions were told it was because they had not persevered and if they complained of inconvenient results therefrom were assured it was all fancy i will just touch upon two other persons whom i have mentioned and then bring this long letter to a close these are mrs wilson and her daughter the former was the widow of a substantial farmer a narrow-minded tattling old gossip whose character is not worth describing she had two sons robert a rough countrified farmer and richard a retiring studious young man who was studying the classics with the vicar's assistance preparing for college with a view to enter the church their sister jane was a young lady of some talents and more ambition she had at her own desire received a regular boarding-school education superior to what any member of the family had obtained before she had taken the polish well acquired considerable elegance of manners quite lost her provincial accent and could boast of more accomplishments than the vicar's daughters she was considered a beauty besides but never for a moment could she number me amongst her admirers she was about six-and-twenty rather tall and very slender her hair was neither chestnut nor auburn but a most decided bright light red her complexion was remarkably fair and brilliant her head small neck long chin well turned but very short lips thin and red eyes clear hazel quick and penetrating but entirely destitute of poetry or feeling she had or might have had many suitors in her own rank of life but scornfully repulsed or rejected them all for none but a gentleman could please her refined taste and none but a rich one could satisfy her soaring ambition one gentleman there was from whom she had lately received some rather pointed attentions and upon whose heart name and fortune it was whispered she had serious designs this was mr lawrence the young squire whose family had formerly occupied wildfell hall but had deserted it some fifteen years ago for a more modern and commodious mansion in the neighbouring parish now halford i bid you adieu for the present 
this is the first instalment of my debt if the coin suits you tell me so and i'll send you the rest at my leisure if you would rather remain my creditor than stuff your purse with such ungainly heavy pieces tell me still and i'll pardon your bad taste and willingly keep the treasure to myself yours immutably gilbert markham end of chapter one recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter two of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter two i perceive with joy my most valued friend that the cloud of your displeasure has passed away the light of your countenance blesses me once more and you desire the continuation of my story therefore without more ado you shall have it i think the day i last mentioned was a certain sunday the latest in the october of eighteen twenty seven on the following tuesday i was out with my dog and gun in pursuit of such game as i could find within the territory of linden carr but finding none at all i turned my arms against the hawks and carrion crows whose depredations as i suspected had deprived me of better prey to this end i left the more frequented regions the wooded valleys the cornfields and the meadowlands and proceeded to mount the steep acclivity of wildfell the wildest and the loftiest eminence in our neighbourhood where as you ascend the hedges as well as the trees become scanty and stunted the former at length giving place to rough stone fences partly greened over with ivy and moss the latter to larches and scotch fir trees or isolated blackthorns the fields being rough and stony and wholly unfit for the plough were mostly devoted to the pasturing of sheep and cattle the soil was thin and poor bits of grey rock here and there peeped out from the grassy hillocks bilberry plants and heather relics of more savage wildness grew under the walls and in many of the enclosures ragweeds and rushes usurped supremacy over the scanty herbage but these were not my property near the top of this hill about two miles from lindencar stood wildfell hall a superannuated mansion of the elizabethan era built of dark grey stone venerable and picturesque to look at but doubtless cold and gloomy enough to inhabit with its thick stone mullions and little lattice panes its time-eaten air-holes and its too lonely too unsheltered situation only shielded from the war of wind and weather by a group of scotch firs themselves half blighted with storms and looking as stern and gloomy as the hall itself behind it lay a few desolate fields and then the brown heath-clad summit of the hill before it enclosed by stone walls and entered by an iron gate with large balls of grey granite similar to those which decorated the roof and gables surmounting the gateposts was a garden once stocked with such hard plants and flowers as could best brook the soil and climate and such trees and shrubs as could best endure the gardener's torturing shears and most readily assume the shapes he chose to give them now having been left so many years untilled and untrimmed abandoned to the weeds and the grass to the frost and the wind the rain and the drought it presented a very singular appearance indeed the close green walls of privet that had bordered the principal walk were two-thirds withered away and the rest grown beyond all reasonable bounds 
the old boxwood swan that sat beside the scraper had lost its neck and half its body the castellated towers of laurel in the middle of the garden the gigantic warrior that stood on one side of the gateway and the lion that guarded the other were sprouted into such fantastic shapes as resembled nothing either in heaven or earth or in the waters under the earth but to my young imagination they presented all of them a goblinish appearance that harmonized well with the ghostly legions and dark traditions our old nurse had told us respecting the haunted hall and its departed occupants i had succeeded in killing a hawk and two crows when i came within sight of the mansion and then relinquishing further depredations i sauntered on to have a look at the old place and see what changes had been wrought in it by its new inhabitant i did not like to go quite to the front and stare in at the gate but i paused beside the garden wall and looked and saw no change except in one wing where the broken windows and dilapidated roof had evidently been repaired and where a thin wreath of smoke was curling up from the stack of chimneys while i thus stood leaning on my gun and looking up at the dark gables sunk in an idle reverie weaving a tissue of wayward fancies in which old associations and the fair young hermit now within those walls bore a nearly equal part i heard a slight rustling and scrambling just within the garden and glancing in the direction whence the sound proceeded i beheld a tiny hand elevated above the wall it clung to the topmost stone and then another little hand was raised to take a firmer hold and then appeared a small white forehead surmounted with wreaths of light brown hair with a pair of deep blue eyes beneath and the upper portion of a diminutive ivory nose the eyes did not notice me but sparkled with glee on beholding sancho my beautiful black and white setter that was coursing about the field with its muzzle to the ground the little creature raised its face and called aloud to the dog the good-natured animal paused looked up and wagged its tail but made no further advances the child a little boy apparently about five years old scrambled up to the top of the wall and called again and again but finding this of no avail apparently made up his mind like mahomet to go to the mountain since the mountain would not come to him and attempted to get over but a crabbed old cherry tree that grew hard by caught him by the frock in one of its crooked scraggy arms that stretched over the wall in attempting to disengage himself his foot slipped and down he tumbled but not to the earth the tree still kept him suspended there was a silent struggle and then a piercing shriek but in an instant i had dropped my gun on the grass and caught the little fellow in my arms i wiped his eyes with his frock told him he was all right and called sancho to pacify him he was just putting his little hand on the dog's neck and beginning to smile through his tears when i heard behind me a click of the iron gate and a rustle of female garments and lo mrs graham darted upon me her neck uncovered her black locks streaming in the wind give me the child she said in a voice scarce louder than a whisper but with a tone of startling vehemence and seizing the boy she snatched him from me as if some dire contamination were in my touch and then stood with one hand firmly clasping his the other on his shoulder fixing upon me her large luminous dark eyes pale breathless quivering with agitation i was not harming the child madam said i scarce knowing whether to be more astonished or displeased he was tumbling off the wall there and i was so fortunate as to catch him 
while he hung suspended headlong from that tree and prevent i know not what catastrophe i beg your pardon sir stammered she suddenly calming down the light of reason seeming to break upon her beclouded spirit and a faint blush mantling on her cheek i did not know you and i thought she stooped to kiss the child and fondly clasped her arm round its neck you thought i was going to kidnap your son i suppose she stroked his head with a half embarrassed laugh and replied i did not know he had attempted to climb the wall i have the pleasure of addressing mr markham i believe she added somewhat abruptly i bowed but ventured to ask how she knew me your sister called here a few days ago with mrs markham is the resemblance so strong then i asked in some surprise and not so greatly flattered at the idea as i ought to have been there is a likeness about the eyes and complexion i think replied she somewhat dubiously surveying my face and i think i saw you at church on sunday i smiled there was something either in that smile or the recollections it awakened that was particularly displeasing to her for she suddenly assumed again that proud chilly look that had so unspeakably roused my aversion at church a look of repellent scorn so easily assumed and so entirely without the least distortion of a single feature that while there it seemed like the natural expression of the face and was the more provoking to me because i could not think it affected good morning mr markham said she and without another word or glance she withdrew with her child into the garden and i returned home angry and dissatisfied i could scarcely tell you why and therefore will not attempt it i only stayed to put away my gun and powder horn and give some requisite directions to one of the farming men and then repaired to the vicarage to solace my spirit and soothe my ruffled temper with the company and conversation of eliza millward i found her as usual busy with some piece of soft embroidery the mania for berlin wools had not yet commenced while her sister was seated at the chimney corner with a cat on her knee mending a heap of stockings mary mary put them away eliza was hastily saying just as i entered the room not i indeed was a phlegmatic reply and my appearance prevented further discussion you're so unfortunate mr markham observed the younger sister with one of her arch sidelong glances papa has just gone out into the parish and not likely to be back for an hour never mind i can manage to spend a few minutes with his daughters if they'll allow me said i bringing a chair to the fire and seating myself therein without waiting to be asked well if you'll be very good and amusing we shall not object let your permission be unconditional pray for i came not to give pleasure but to seek it i answered however i thought it but reasonable to make some slight exertion to render my company agreeable and what little effort i made was apparently pretty successful for miss eliza was never in a better humour we seemed indeed to be mutually pleased with each other and managed to maintain between us a cheerful and animated though not very profound conversation it was little better than a tete-a-tete for miss millward never opened her lips except occasionally to correct some random assertion or exaggerated expression of her sister's and once to ask her to pick up the ball of cotton that had rolled under the table i did this myself however as in duty bound thank you mr markham said she as i presented it to her i would have picked it up myself only i did not want to disturb the cat mary dear that won't excuse you in mr markham's eyes said eliza he hates cats i dare say as cordially as he does old maids like all other gentlemen don't you mr markham 
i believe it is natural for our unamiable sex to dislike the creatures replied i for you ladies lavish so many caresses upon them bless them little darlings cried she in a sudden burst of enthusiasm turning round and overwhelming her sister's pet with a shower of kisses don't eliza said miss millward somewhat gruffly as she impatiently pushed her away but it was time for me to be going make what haste i would i should still be too late for tea and my mother was the soul of order and punctuality my fair friend was evidently unwilling to bid me adieu i tenderly squeezed her little hand at parting and she repaid me with one of her softest smiles and most bewitching glances i went home very happy with a heart brimful of complacency for myself and overflowing with love for eliza end of chapter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine Chapter Three of the Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Three. Two days after, Mrs. Graham called at Linden Carr, contrary to the expectation of Rose, who entertained an idea that the mysterious occupant of Wildfell Hall would wholly disregard the common observances of civilized life in which opinion she was supported by the wilsons who testified that neither their call nor the millwards had been returned as yet now however the cause of that omission was explained though not entirely to the satisfaction of rose mrs graham had brought her child with her and on my mother's expressing surprise that he could walk so far she replied it is a long walk for him but i must have either taken him with me or relinquished the visit altogether for i never leave him alone and i think mrs markham i must beg you to make my excuses to the millwards and mrs wilson when you see them as i fear i cannot do myself the pleasure of calling upon them till my little arthur is able to accompany me but you have a servant said rose could you not leave him with her she has her own occupations to attend to and besides she is too old to run after a child and he is too mercurial to be tied to an elderly woman but you left him to come to church yes once but i would not have left him for any other purpose and i think in future i must contrive to bring him with me or stay at home is he so mischievous asked my mother considerably shocked no replied the lady sadly smiling as she stroked the wavy locks of her son who was seated on a low stool at her feet but he is my only treasure and i am his only friend so we don't like to be separated but my dear i call that doting said my plain-spoken parent you should try to suppress such foolish fondness as well to save your son from ruin as yourself from ridicule ruin mrs markham yes it is spoiling the child even at his age he ought not to be always tied to his mother's apron-string he should learn to be ashamed of it mrs markham i beg you will not say such things in his presence at least i trust my son will never be ashamed to love his mother said mrs graham with a serious energy that startled the company my mother attempted to appease her by an explanation but she seemed to think enough had been said on the subject and abruptly turned the conversation just as i thought said i to myself the lady's temper is none of the mildest notwithstanding her sweet pale face and lofty brow where thought and suffering seem equally to have stamped their impress 
all this time i was seated at a table on the other side of the room apparently immersed in the perusal of a volume of the farmer's magazine which i happened to have been reading at the moment of our visitor's arrival and not choosing to be over civil i had merely bowed as she entered and continued my occupation as before in a little while however i was sensible that someone was approaching me with a light but slow and hesitating tread it was little arthur irresistibly attracted by my dog sancho that was lying at my feet on looking up i beheld him standing about two yards off with his clear blue eyes wistfully gazing on the dog transfixed to the spot not by fear of the animal but by a timid disinclination to approach its master a little encouragement however induced him to come forward the child though shy was not sullen in a minute he was kneeling on the carpet with his arms round sancho's neck and in a minute or two more the little fellow was seated on my knee surveying with eager interest the various specimens of horses cattle pigs and model farms portrayed in the volume before me i glanced at his mother now and then to see how she relished the new-sprung intimacy and i saw by the unquiet aspect of her eye that for some reason or other she was uneasy at the child's position arthur said she at length come here you are troublesome to mr markham he wishes to read by no means mrs graham pray let him stay i am as much amused as he is pleaded i but still with hand and eye she silently called him to her side no mamma said the child let me look at these pictures first and then i'll come and tell you all about them we are going to have a small party on monday the fifth of november said my mother and i hope you will not refuse to make one mrs graham you can bring your little boy with you you know i dare say we shall be able to amuse him and then you can make your own apologies to the millwards and wilsons they will all be here i expect oh, thank you i never go to parties oh but this will be quite a family concern early hours and nobody here but ourselves and just the millwards and wilsons most of whom you already know and mr lawrence your landlord with whom you ought to make acquaintance well, i do know something of him but you must excuse me this time for the evenings now are dark and damp and arthur i fear is too delicate to risk exposure to their influence with impunity we must defer the enjoyment of your hospitality till the return of longer days and warmer nights rose now at a hint from my mother produced a decanter of wine with accompaniments of glasses and cake from the cupboard and the oak sideboard and the refreshment was duly presented to the guests they both partook of the cake but obstinately refused the wine in spite of our hostess's hospitable attempts to force it upon them arthur especially shrank from the ruby nectar as if in terror and disgust and was ready to cry when urged to take it never mind arthur said his mamma mrs markham thinks it will do you good as you were tired with your walk but she will not oblige you to take it i dare say you will do very well without he detests the very sight of wine she added and the smell of it almost makes him sick i have been accustomed to make him swallow a little wine or weak spirits and water by way of medicine when he was sick and in fact i have done what i could to make him hate them everybody laughed except the young widow and her son well mrs graham said my mother wiping the tears of merriment from her bright blue eyes well you surprise me i really gave you credit for having more sense the poor child will be the veriest milksop that ever was sopped only think what a man you will make of him if you persist in i think it a very excellent plan interrupted mrs graham 
with imperturbable gravity by that means i hope to save him from one degrading vice at least i wish i could render the incentives to every other equally innoxious in his case but by such means said i you will never render him virtuous what is it that constitutes virtue mrs graham is it the circumstance of being able and willing to resist temptation or that of having no temptations to resist is he a strong man that overcomes great obstacles and performs surprising achievements though by dint of great muscular exertion and at the risk of some subsequent fatigue or he that sits in his chair all day with nothing to do more laborious than stirring the fire and carrying his food to his mouth if you would have your son to walk honourably through the world you must not attempt to clear the stones from his path but teach him to walk firmly over them don't insist upon leading him by the hand but let him learn to go alone i will lead him by the hand mr markham till he has strength to go alone and i will clear as many stones from his path as i can and teach him to avoid the rest or walk firmly over them as you say for when i have done my utmost in the way of clearance there will still be plenty left to exercise all the agility steadiness and circumspection he will ever have it is all very well to talk about noble resistance and trials of virtue but for fifty or five hundred men that have yielded to temptation show me one that has had virtue to resist and why should i take it for granted that my son will be one in a thousand and not rather prepare for the worst and suppose he will be like his like the rest of mankind unless i take care to prevent it you are very complimentary to us all i observed i know nothing about you i speak of those i do know and when i see the whole race of mankind with a few rare exceptions stumbling and blundering along the path of life sinking into every pitfall and breaking their shins over every impediment that lies in their way shall i not use all the means in my power to ensure for him a smoother and a safer passage yes but the surest means will be to endeavour to fortify him against temptation not to remove it out of his way i will do both mr markham god knows he will have temptations enough to assail him both from within and without when i have done all i can to render vice as uninviting to him as it is abominable in its own nature i myself have had indeed but few incentives to what the world calls vice but yet i have experienced temptations and trials of another kind that have required on many occasions more watchfulness and firmness to resist than i have hitherto been able to muster against them and this i believe is what most others would acknowledge who are accustomed to reflection and wishful to strive against their natural corruptions yes said my mother but half apprehending her drift but you would not judge of a boy by yourself and my dear mrs graham let me warn you in good time against the error the fatal error i may call it of taking that boy's education upon yourself because you are clever in some things and well informed you may fancy yourself equal to the task but indeed you are not and if you persist in the attempt believe me you will bitterly repent it when the mischief is done i am to send him to school i suppose to learn to despise his mother's authority and affection said the lady with rather a bitter smile oh no but if you would have a boy to despise his mother let her keep him at home and spend her life in petting him up and slaving to indulge his follies and caprices i perfectly agree with you mrs markham but nothing can be further from my principles and practice than such criminal weakness as that 
well but you will treat him like a girl you'll spoil his spirit and make a mere miss nancy of him you will indeed mrs graham whatever you may think but i'll get mr millward to talk to you about it he'll tell you the consequences he'll set it before you as plain as the day and tell you what you ought to do and all about it and i don't doubt he'll be able to convince you in a minute no occasion to trouble the vicar said mrs graham glancing at me i suppose i was smiling at my mother's unbounded confidence in that worthy gentleman mr markham here thinks his powers of conviction at least equal to mr millward's if i hear not him neither should i be convinced though one rose from the dead he would tell you well mr markham you that maintain that a boy should not be shielded from evil but sent out to battle against it alone and unassisted not taught to avoid the snares of life but boldly to rush into them or over them as he may to seek danger rather than shun it and feed his virtue by temptation would you i beg your pardon mrs graham but you get on too fast i have not yet said that a boy should be taught to rush into the snares of life or even wilfully to seek temptation for the sake of exercising his virtue by overcoming it i only say that it is better to arm and strengthen your hero than to disarm and enfeeble the foe and if you were to rear an oak sapling in a hothouse tending it carefully night and day and shielding it from every breath of wind you could not expect it to become a hardy tree like that which has grown up on the mountain-side exposed to all the action of the elements and not even sheltered from the shock of the tempest granted but would you use the same argument with regard to a girl certainly not no you would have her to be tenderly and delicately nurtured like a hothouse plant taught to cling to others for direction and support and guarded as much as possible from the very knowledge of evil but will you be so good as to inform me why you make this distinction is it that you think she has no virtue assuredly not well but you affirm that virtue is only elicited by temptation and you think that a woman cannot be too little exposed to temptation or too little acquainted with vice or anything connected therewith it must be either that you think she is essentially so vicious or so feeble-minded that she cannot withstand temptation and though she may be pure and innocent as long as she is kept in ignorance and restraint yet being destitute of real virtue to teach her how to sin is at once to make her a sinner and the greater her knowledge the wider her liberty the deeper will be her depravity whereas in the nobler sex there is a natural tendency to goodness guarded by a superior fortitude which the more it is exercised by trials and dangers is only the further developed heaven forbid that i should think so i interrupted her at last well then it must be that you think they are both weak and prone to error and the slightest error the merest shadow of pollution will ruin the one while the character of the other will be strengthened and embellished his education properly finished by a little practical acquaintance with forbidden things such experience to him to use a trite simile will be like the storm to the oak which though it may scatter the leaves and snap the smaller branches serves but to rivet the roots and to harden and condense the fibres of the tree you would have us encourage our sons to prove all things by their own experience while our daughters must not even profit by the experience of others now i would have both so to benefit by the experience of others and the precepts of a higher authority that they should know beforehand to refuse the evil and choose the good and require no experimental proofs 
to teach them the evil of transgression i would not send a poor girl into the world unarmed against her foes and ignorant of the snares that beset her path nor would i watch and guard her till deprived of self-respect and self-reliance she lost the power or the will to watch and guard herself and as for my son if i thought he would grow up to be what you call a man of the world one that has seen life and glories in his experience even though he should so far profit by it as to sober down at length into a useful and respected member of society i would rather that he died to-morrow rather a thousand times she earnestly repeated pressing her darling to her side and kissing his forehead with intense affection he had already left his new companion and been standing for some time beside his mother's knee looking up into her face and listening in silent wonder to her incomprehensible discourse well you ladies must always have the last word i suppose said i observing her rise and begin to take leave of my mother you may have as many words as you please only i can't stay to hear them no that is the way you hear just as much of an argument as you please and the rest may be spoken to the wind if you are anxious to say anything more on the subject replied she as she shook hands with rose you must bring your sister to see me some fine day and i'll listen as patiently as you could wish to whatever you please to say i would rather be lectured by you than the vicar because i should have less remorse in telling you at the end of the discourse that i preserve my own opinion precisely the same as at the beginning as would be the case i am persuaded with regard to either logician oh yes of course replied i determined to be as provoking as herself for when a lady does consent to listen to an argument against her own opinions she is always predetermined to withstand it to listen only with her bodily ears keeping the mental organs resolutely closed against the strongest reasoning good morning mr markham said my fair antagonist with a pitying smile and deigning no further rejoinder she slightly bowed and was about to withdraw but her son with childish impertinence arrested her by exclaiming mamma you have not shaken hands with mr markham she laughingly turned round and held out her hand i gave it a spiteful squeeze for i was annoyed at the continual injustice she had done me from the very dawn of our acquaintance without knowing anything about my real disposition and principles she was evidently prejudiced against me and seemed bent upon showing me that her opinions respecting me on every particular fell far below those i entertained of myself i was naturally touchy or it would not have vexed me so much perhaps too i was a little bit spoiled by my mother and sister and some other ladies of my acquaintance and yet i was by no means a fop of that i am fully convinced whether you are or not end of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter four of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 4 Our party on the 5th of November passed off very well, in spite of Mrs. Graham's refusal to grace it with her presence. Indeed, it is probable that had she been there, there would have been less cordiality, freedom, and frolic amongst us than there was without her. My mother, as usual, was cheerful and chatty, full of activity and good nature, 
and only faulty in being too anxious to make her guests happy thereby forcing several of them to do what their soul abhorred in the way of eating or drinking sitting opposite the blazing fire or talking when they would be silent nevertheless they bore it very well being all in their holiday humours mr millward was mighty in important dogmas and sententious jokes pompous anecdotes and oracular discourses dealt out for the edification of the whole assembly in general and of the admiring mrs markham the polite mr lawrence the sedate mary millward the quiet richard wilson and the matter-of-fact robert in particular as being the most attentive listeners mrs wilson was more brilliant than ever with her budgets of fresh news and old scandal strung together with trivial questions and remarks and oft-repeated observations uttered apparently for the sole purpose of denying a moment's rest to her inexhaustible organs of speech she had brought her knitting with her and it seemed as if her tongue had laid a wager with her fingers to outdo them in swift and ceaseless motion her daughter jane was of course as graceful and elegant as witty and seductive as she could possibly manage to be for here were all the ladies to outshine and all the gentlemen to charm and mr lawrence especially to capture and subdue her little arts to effect his subjugation were too subtle and impalpable to attract my observation but i thought there was a certain refined affectation of superiority and an ungenial self-consciousness about her that negatived all her advantages and after she was gone rose interpreted to me her various looks words and actions with a mingled acuteness and asperity that made me wonder equally at the lady's artifice and my sister's penetration and asked myself if she too had an eye to the squire but never mind halford she had not richard wilson jane's younger brother sat in a corner apparently good-tempered but silent and shy desirous to escape observation but willing enough to listen and observe and although somewhat out of his element he would have been happy enough in his own quiet way if my mother could only have let him alone but in her mistaken kindness she would keep persecuting him with her attentions pressing upon him all manner of viands under the notion that he was too bashful to help himself and obliging him to shout across the room his monosyllabic replies to the numerous questions and observations by which she vainly attempted to draw him into conversation rose informed me that he never would have favoured us with his company but for the importunities of his sister jane who was most anxious to show mr lawrence that she had at least one brother more gentlemanly and refined than robert that worthy individual she had been equally solicitous to keep away but he affirmed that he saw no reason why he should not enjoy a crack with markham and the old lady my mother was not old really and bonny miss rose and the parson as well as the best and he was in the right of it too so he talked commonplace with my mother and rose and discussed parish affairs with the vicar farming matters with me and politics with us both mary millward was another mute not so much tormented with cruel kindness as dick wilson because she had a certain short decided way of answering and refusing and was supposed to be rather sullen than diffident however that might be she certainly did not give much pleasure to the company nor did she appear to derive much from it eliza told me she had only come because her father insisted upon it having taken it into his head that she devoted herself too exclusively to her household duties to the neglect of such relaxations and innocent enjoyments 
as were proper to her age and sex she seemed to me to be good-humoured enough on the whole once or twice she was provoked to laughter by the wit or the merriment of some favoured individual amongst us and then i observed she sought the eye of richard wilson who sat over against her as he studied with her father she had some acquaintance with him in spite of the retiring habits of both and i suppose there was a kind of fellow-feeling established between them my eliza was charming beyond description coquettish without affectation and evidently more desirous to engage my attention than that of all the room besides her delight in having me near her seated or standing by her side whispering in her ear or pressing her hand in the dance was plainly legible in her glowing face and heaving bosom however belied by saucy words and gestures but i had better hold my tongue if i boast of these things now i shall have to blush hereafter to proceed then with the various individuals of our party rose was simple and natural as usual and full of mirth and vivacity fergus was impertinent and absurd but his impertinence and folly served to make others laugh if they did not raise himself in their estimation and finally for i omit myself mr lawrence was gentlemanly and inoffensive to all and polite to the vicar and the ladies especially his hostess and her daughter and miss wilson misguided man he had not the taste to prefer eliza millward mr lawrence and i were on tolerably intimate terms essentially of reserved habits and but seldom quitting the secluded place of his birth where he had lived in solitary state since the death of his father he had neither the opportunity nor the inclination for forming many acquaintances and of all he had ever known i judging by the results was the companion most agreeable to his taste i liked the man well enough but he was too cold and shy and self-contained to obtain my cordial sympathies a spirit of candour and frankness when wholly unaccompanied with coarseness he admired in others but he could not acquire it himself his excessive reserve upon all his own concerns was indeed provoking and chilly enough but i forgave it from a conviction that it originated less in pride and want of confidence in his friends than in a certain morbid feeling of delicacy and a peculiar diffidence that he was sensible of but wanted energy to overcome his heart was like a sensitive plant that opens for a moment in the sunshine but curls up and shrinks into itself at the slightest touch of the finger or the lightest breath of wind and upon the whole our intimacy was rather a mutual predilection than a deep and solid friendship such as has since arisen between myself and you halford whom in spite of your occasional crustiness i can liken to nothing so well as an old coat unimpeachable in texture but easy and loose that has conformed itself to the shape of the wearer and which he may use as he pleases without being bothered with the fear of spoiling it whereas mr lawrence was like a new garment all very neat and trim to look at but so tighten the elbows that you would fear to split the seams by the unrestricted motion of your arms and so smooth and fine in surface that you scruple to expose it to a single drop of rain soon after the arrival of the guests my mother mentioned mrs graham regretted she was not there to meet them and explained to the millwards and wilsons the reasons she had given for neglecting to return their calls hoping they would excuse her as she was sure she did not mean to be uncivil and would be glad to see them at any time but she is a very singular lady mr lawrence added she we don't know what to make of her 
but i dare say you can tell us something about her for she is your tenant you know and she said she knew you a little all eyes were turned to mr lawrence i thought he looked unnecessarily confused at being so appealed to i mrs markham said he you are mistaken i don't that is i have seen her certainly but i am the last person you should apply to for information respecting mrs graham he then immediately turned to rose and asked her to favour the company with a song or a tune on the piano no said she you must ask miss wilson she outshines us all in singing and music too miss wilson demurred she'll sing readily enough said fergus if you'll undertake to stand by her mr lawrence and turn over the leaves for her oh i shall be most happy to do so miss wilson will you allow me she bridled her long neck and smiled and suffered him to lead her to the instrument where she played and sang in her very best style one piece after another while he stood patiently by leaning one hand on the back of her chair and turning over the leaves of her book with the other perhaps he was as much charmed with her performance as she was it was all very fine in its way but i cannot say that it moved me very deeply there was plenty of skill and execution but precious little feeling but we had not done with mrs graham yet i don't take wine mrs markham said mr millward upon the introduction of that beverage i'll take a little of your home-brewed ale i always prefer your home-brewed to anything else flattered at this compliment my mother rang the bell and a china jug of our best ale was presently brought and set before the worthy gentleman who so well knew how to appreciate its excellences now this is the thing cried he pouring out a glass of the same in a long stream skilfully directed from the jug to the tumbler so as to produce much foam without spilling a drop and having surveyed it for a moment opposite the candle he took a deep draught and then smacked his lips drew a long breath and refilled his glass my mother looking on with the greatest satisfaction there's nothing like this mrs markham said he i always maintain that there's nothing to compare with your home-brewed ale well i'm sure i'm glad you like it sir i always look after the brewing myself as well as the cheese and the butter i like to have things well done while we're about it quite right mrs markham but then mr millward you don't think it wrong to take a little wine now and then or a little spirits either said my mother as she handed a smoking tumbler of gin and water to mrs wilson who affirmed that wine sat heavy on her stomach and whose son robert was at that moment helping himself to a pretty stiff glass of the same by no means replied the oracle with a jove-like nod these things are all blessings and mercies if we only knew how to make use of them but mrs graham doesn't think so you shall just hear now what she told us the other day i told her i'd tell you and my mother favoured the company with a particular account of that lady's mistaken ideas and conduct regarding the matter in hand concluding with now don't you think it is wrong wrong repeated the vicar with more than common solemnity criminal i should say criminal not only is it making a fool of the boy but it is despising the gifts of providence and teaching him to trample them under his feet he then entered more fully into the question and explained at large the folly and impiety of such a proceeding my mother heard him with profoundest reverence and even mrs wilson vouchsafed to rest her tongue for a moment and listen in silence while she complacently sipped her gin and water mr lawrence sat with his elbow on the table carelessly playing with his half-empty wine-glass 
and covertly smiling to himself but don't you think mr millward suggested he when at length that gentleman paused in his discourse that when a child may be naturally prone to intemperance by the fault of its parents or ancestors for instance some precautions are advisable now it was generally believed that mr lawrence's father had shortened his days by intemperance some precautions it may be but temperance sir is one thing and abstinence another but i have heard that with some persons temperance that is moderation is almost impossible and if abstinence be an evil which some have doubted no one will deny that excess is a greater some parents have entirely prohibited their children from tasting intoxicating liquors but a parent's authority cannot last for ever children are naturally prone to hanker after forbidden things and a child in such a case would be likely to have a strong curiosity to taste and try the effect of what has been so lauded and enjoyed by others so strictly forbidden to himself which curiosity would generally be gratified on the first convenient opportunity and the restraint once broken serious consequences might ensue i don't pretend to be a judge of such matters but it seems to me that this plan of mrs graham's as you describe it mrs markham extraordinary as it may be is not without its advantages for here you see the child is delivered at once from temptation he has no secret curiosity no hankering desire he is as well acquainted with the tempting liquors as he ever wishes to be and is thoroughly disgusted with them without having suffered from their effects and is that right sir have i not proven to you how wrong it is how contrary to scripture and to reason to teach a child to look with contempt and disgust upon the blessings of providence instead of to use them aright well you may consider laudanum a blessing of providence sir replied mr lawrence smiling and yet you will allow that most of us had better abstain from it even in moderation but added he i would not desire you to follow out my simile too closely in witness whereof i finish my glass and take another i hope mr lawrence said my mother pushing the bottle towards him he politely declined and pushing his chair a little away from the table leant back towards me i was seated a trifle behind on the sofa beside eliza millward and carelessly asked me if i knew mrs graham i have met her once or twice i replied what do you think of her i cannot say that i like her much she is handsome or rather i should say distinguished and interesting in her appearance but by no means amiable a woman liable to take strong prejudices i should fancy and stick to them through thick and thin twisting everything into conformity with her own preconceived opinions too hard too sharp too bitter for my taste he made no reply but looked down and bit his lip and shortly after rose and sauntered up to miss wilson as much repelled by me i fancy as attracted by her i scarcely noticed it at the time but afterwards i was led to recall this and other trifling facts of a similar nature to my remembrance when but i must not anticipate we wound up the evening with dancing our worthy pastor thinking it no scandal to be present on the occasion though one of the village musicians was engaged to direct our evolutions with his violin but mary millward obstinately refused to join us and so did richard wilson though my mother earnestly entreated him to do so and even offered to be his partner we managed very well without them however with a single set of quadrilles and several country dances we carried it on to a pretty late hour and at length having called upon our musician to strike up a waltz 
i was just about to whirl eliza round in that delightful dance accompanied by lawrence and jane wilson and fergus and rose when mr millward interposed with no no i don't allow that come it's time to be going now oh no papa pleaded eliza high time my girl high time moderation in all things remember that's the plan let your moderation be known unto all men but in revenge i followed eliza into the dimly lighted passage where under pretence of helping her on with her shawl i fear i must plead guilty to snatching a kiss behind her father's back while he was enveloping his throat and chin in the folds of a mighty comforter but alas in turning around there was my mother close beside me the consequence was that no sooner were the guests departed than i was doomed to a very serious remonstrance which unpleasantly checked the galloping course of my spirits and made a disagreeable close to the evening my dear gilbert said she i wish you wouldn't do so you know how deeply i have your advantage at heart how i love you and prize you above everything else in the world and how much i long to see you well settled in life and how bitterly it would grieve me to see you married to that girl or any other in the neighbourhood what you see in her i don't know it isn't only the want of money that i think about nothing of the kind but there's neither beauty nor cleverness nor goodness nor anything else that's desirable if you knew your own value as i do you wouldn't dream of it do wait a while and see if you bind yourself to her you'll repent it all your lifetime when you look round and see how many better there are take my word for it you will well mother do be quiet i hate to be lectured i'm not going to marry yet i tell you but dear me mayn't i enjoy myself at all yes my dear boy but not in that way indeed you shouldn't do such things you would be wronging the girl if she were what she ought to be but i assure you she is as artful a little hussy as anybody need wish to see and you'll get entangled in her snares before you know where you are and if you marry her gilbert you'll break my heart so there's an end of it well don't cry about it mother said i for the tears were gushing from her eyes there let that kiss efface the one i gave eliza don't abuse her any more and set your mind at rest for i'll promise never that is i'll promise to think twice before i take any important step you seriously disapprove of so saying i lighted my candle and went to bed considerably quenched in spirit end of chapter four recording by expatriate in bangor maine Chapter Five of the Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Five. It was about the close of the month that, yielding at length to the urgent importunities of Rose, I accompanied her in a visit to Wildfell Hall. To our surprise, we were ushered into a room where the first object that met the eye was a painter's easel with a table beside it covered with rolls of canvas bottles of oil and varnish palette brushes paints etc leaning against the wall were several sketches in various stages of progression and a few finished paintings mostly of landscapes and figures i must make you welcome to my studio said mrs graham there is no fire in the sitting-room to-day and it is rather too cold to show you into a place with an empty grate and disengaging a couple of chairs from the artistical lumber that usurped them she bid us be seated 
and resumed her place beside the easel not facing it exactly but now and then glancing at the picture upon it while she conversed and giving it an occasional touch with her brush as if she found it impossible to wean her attention entirely from her occupation to fix it upon her guests it was a view of wildfell hall as seen at early morning from the field below rising in dark relief against a sky of clear silvery blue with a few red streaks on the horizon faithfully drawn and coloured and very elegantly and artistically handled i see your heart is in your work mrs graham observed i i must beg you to go on with it for if you suffer our presence to interrupt you we shall be constrained to regard ourselves as unwelcome intruders oh no replied she throwing her brush on to the table as if startled into politeness i am not so beset with visitors but that i can readily spare a few minutes to the few that do favour me with their company you have almost completed your painting said i approaching to observe it more closely and surveying it with a greater degree of admiration and delight than i cared to express a few more touches in the foreground will finish it i should think but why have you called it fernley manor cumberland instead of wildfell hall blankshire i asked alluding to the name she had traced in small characters at the bottom of the canvas but immediately i was sensible of having committed an act of impertinence in so doing for she coloured and hesitated but after a moment's pause with a kind of desperate frankness she replied because i have friends acquaintances at least in the world from whom i desire my present abode to be concealed and as they might see the picture and might possibly recognize the style in spite of the false initials i have put in the corner i take the precaution to give a false name to the place also in order to put them on a wrong scent if they should attempt to trace me out by it and you don't intend to keep the picture said i anxious to say anything to change the subject no i cannot afford to paint for my own amusement mamma sends all her pictures to london said arthur and somebody sells them for her there and sends us the money in looking round upon the other pieces i remarked a pretty sketch of lindenhope from the top of the hill another view of the old hall basking in the sunny haze of a quiet summer afternoon and a simple but striking little picture of a child brooding with looks of silent but deep and sorrowful regret over a handful of withered flowers with glimpses of dark low hills and autumnal fields behind it and a dull beclouded sky above it you see there is a sad dearth of subjects observed the fair artist i took the old hall once on a moonlight night and i suppose i must take it again on a snowy winter's day and then again on a dark cloudy evening for i really have nothing else to paint i have been told that you have a fine view of the sea somewhere in the neighbourhood is it true and is it within walking distance yes if you don't object to walking four miles or nearly so little short of eight miles there and back and over a somewhat rough fatiguing road in what direction does it lie i described the situation as well as i could and was entering upon an explanation of the various roads lanes and fields to be traversed in order to reach it the going straight on and turnings to the right and the left when she checked me with oh stop don't tell me now i shall forget every word of your directions before i require them i shall not think about going till next spring and then perhaps i may trouble you at present we have the winter before us and she suddenly paused with a suppressed exclamation started up from her seat and saying excuse me one moment hurried from the room and shut the door behind her curious to see what had startled her so i looked towards the window 
for her eyes had been carelessly fixed upon it the moment before and just beheld the skirts of a man's coat vanishing behind a large holly-bush that stood between the window and the porch it's mamma's friend said arthur rose and i looked at each other i don't know what to make of her at all whispered rose the child looked at her in grave surprise she straightway began to talk to him on indifferent matters while i amused myself with looking at the pictures there was one in an obscure corner that i had not before observed it was a little child seated on the grass with its lap full of flowers the tiny features and large blue eyes smiling through a shock of light brown curls shaken over the forehead as it bent above its treasure bore sufficient resemblance to those of the young gentleman before me to proclaim it a portrait of arthur graham in his early infancy in taking this up to bring it to the light i discovered another behind it with its face to the wall i ventured to take that up too it was the portrait of a gentleman in the full prime of youthful manhood handsome enough and not badly executed but if done by the same hand as the others it was evidently some years before for there was far more careful minuteness of detail and less of that freshness of colouring and freedom of handling that delighted and surprised me in them nevertheless i surveyed it with considerable interest there was a certain individuality in the features and expression that stamped it at once a successful likeness the bright blue eyes regarded the spectator with a kind of lurking drollery you almost expected to see them wink the lips a little too voluptuously full seemed ready to break into a smile the warmly tinted cheeks were embellished with a luxuriant growth of reddish whiskers while the bright chestnut hair clustering in abundant wavy curls trespassed too much upon the forehead and seemed to intimate that the owner thereof was prouder of his beauty than his intellect as perhaps he had reason to be and yet he looked no fool i had not had the portrait in my hands two minutes before the fair artist returned only some one come about the pictures said she in apology for her abrupt departure i told him to wait i fear it will be considered an act of impertinence said i to presume to look at a picture that the artist has turned to the wall but may i ask it is an act of very great impertinence sir and therefore i beg you will ask nothing about it for your curiosity will not be gratified replied she attempting to cover the tartness of her rebuke with a smile but i could see by her flushed cheek and kindling eye that she was seriously annoyed i was only going to ask if you had painted it yourself said i sulkily resigning the picture into her hands for without a grain of ceremony she took it from me and quickly restoring it to the dark corner with its face to the wall placed the other against it as before and then turned to me and laughed but i was in no humour for jesting i carelessly turned to the window and stood looking out upon the desolate garden leaving her to talk to rose for a minute or two and then telling my sister it was time to go shook hands with the little gentleman coolly bowed to the lady and moved towards the door but having bid adieu to rose mrs graham presented her hand to me saying with a soft voice and by no means a disagreeable smile let not the sun go down upon your wrath mr markham i'm sorry i offended you by my abruptness when a lady condescends to apologize there is no keeping one's anger of course so we parted good friends for once and this time i squeezed her hand with a cordial not a spiteful pressure end of chapter five recording by expatriate in bangor maine
chapter six of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six during the next four months i did not enter mrs graham's house nor she mine but still the ladies continued to talk about her and still our acquaintance continued though slowly to advance as for their talk i paid but little attention to that when it related to the fair hermit i mean and the only information i derived from it was that one fine frosty day she had ventured to take her little boy as far as the vicarage and that unfortunately nobody was at home but miss millward nevertheless she had sat a long time and by all accounts they had found a good deal to say to each other and parted with a mutual desire to meet again but mary liked children and fond mammas like those who can duly appreciate their treasures but sometimes i saw her myself not only when she came to church but when she was out on the hills with her son whether taking a long purpose-like walk or on special fine days leisurely rambling over the moor or the bleak pasture-lands surrounding the old hall herself with a book in her hand her son gambling about her and on any of these occasions when i caught sight of her in my solitary walks or rides or while following my agricultural pursuits i generally contrived to meet or overtake her for i rather liked to see mrs graham and to talk to her and i decidedly liked to talk to her little companion whom when once the ice of his shyness was fairly broken i found to be a very amiable intelligent and entertaining little fellow and we soon became excellent friends how much to the gratification of his mamma i cannot undertake to say i suspected at first that she was desirous of throwing cold water on this growing intimacy to quench as it were the kindling flame of our friendship but discovering at length in spite of her prejudice against me that i was perfectly harmless and even well-intentioned and that between myself and my dog her son derived a great deal of pleasure from the acquaintance that he would not otherwise have known she ceased to object and even welcomed my coming with a smile as for arthur he would shout his welcome from afar and run to meet me fifty yards from his mother's side if i happened to be on horseback he was sure to get a canter or a gallop or if there was one of the draught horses within an available distance he was treated to a steady ride upon that which served his turn almost as well but his mother would always follow and trudge beside him not so much i believe to ensure his safe conduct as to see that i instilled no objectionable notions into his infant mind for she was ever on the watch and never would allow him to be taken out of her sight what pleased her best of all was to see him romping and racing with sancho while i walked by her side not i fear for love of my company though i sometimes deluded myself with that idea so much as for the delight she took in seeing her son thus happily engaged in the enjoyment of those active sports so invigorating to his tender frame yet so seldom exercised for want of playmates suited to his years and perhaps her pleasure was sweetened not a little by the fact of my being with her instead of with him and therefore incapable of doing him any injury directly or indirectly designedly or otherwise small thanks to her for that same but sometimes i believe she really had some little gratification in conversing with me and one bright february morning during twenty minutes stroll along the moor she laid aside her usual asperity and reserve and fairly entered into conversation with me discoursing with so much eloquence and depth of thought and feeling 
on a subject happily coinciding with my own ideas and looking so beautiful withal that i went home enchanted and on the way morally started to find myself thinking that after all it would perhaps be better to spend one's days with such a woman than with eliza millward and then i figuratively blushed for my inconstancy on entering the parlour i found eliza there with rose and no one else the surprise was not altogether so agreeable as it ought to have been we chatted together a long time but i found her rather frivolous and even a little insipid compared with the more mature and earnest mrs graham alas for human constancy however thought i i ought not to marry eliza since my mother so strongly objects to it and i ought not to delude the girl with the idea that i intended to do so now if this mood continue i shall have less difficulty in emancipating my affections from her soft yet unrelenting sway and though mrs graham might be equally objectionable i may be permitted like the doctors to cure a greater evil by a less for i shall not fall seriously in love with the young widow i think nor she with me that's certain but if i find a little pleasure in her society i may surely be allowed to seek it and if the star of her divinity be bright enough to dim the lustre of eliza's so much the better but i scarcely can think it and thereafter i seldom suffered a fine day to pass without paying a visit to wildfell about the time my new acquaintance usually left her hermitage but so frequently was i balked in my expectations of another interview so changeable was she in her times of coming forth and in her places of resort so transient were the occasional glimpses i was able to obtain that i felt half inclined to think she took as much pains to avoid my company as i to seek hers but this was too disagreeable a supposition to be entertained a moment after it could conveniently be dismissed one calm clear afternoon however in march as i was superintending the rolling of the meadowland and the repairing of a hedge in the valley i saw mrs graham down by the brook with a sketch-book in her hand absorbed in the exercise of her favourite art while arthur was putting on the time with constructing dams and breakwaters in the shallow stony stream i was rather in want of amusement and so rare an opportunity was not to be neglected so leaving both meadow and hedge i quickly repaired to the spot but not before sancho who immediately upon perceiving his young friend scoured at full gallop the intervening space and pounced upon him with an impetuous mirth that precipitated the child almost into the middle of the back but happily the stones preserved him from any serious wetting while their smoothness prevented his being too much hurt to laugh at the untoward event mrs graham was studying the distinctive characters of the different varieties of trees in their winter nakedness and copying with a spirited though delicate touch their various ramifications she did not talk much but i stood and watched the progress of her pencil it was a pleasure to behold it so dexterously guided by those fair and graceful fingers but ere long their dexterity became impaired they began to hesitate to tremble slightly and make false strokes and then suddenly came to a pause while their owner laughingly raised her face to mine and told me that her sketch did not profit by my superintendence then said i i'll talk to arthur till you've done i should like to have a ride mr markham if mamma will let me said the child what on my boy i think there's a horse in that field replied he pointing to where the strong black mare was pulling the roller no no arthur it's too far objected his mother 
but i promised to bring him safe back after a turn or two up and down the meadow and when she looked at his eager face she smiled and let him go it was the first time she had even allowed me to take him so much as half a field's length from her side enthroned upon his monstrous steed and solemnly proceeding up and down the wide steep field he looked the very incarnation of quiet gleeful satisfaction and delight the rolling however was soon completed but when i dismounted the gallant horseman and restored him to his mother she seemed rather displeased at my keeping him so long she had shut up her sketch-book and had been probably for some minutes impatiently waiting his return it was now high time to go home she said and would have bid me good evening but i was not going to leave her yet i accompanied her half-way up the hill she became more sociable and i was beginning to be very happy but on coming within sight of the grim old hall she stood still and turned towards me while she spoke as if expecting i should go no further that the conversation would end here and i should now take leave and depart as indeed it was time to do for the clear cold eve was fast declining the sun had set and the gibbous moon was visibly brightening in the pale grey sky but a feeling almost of compassion riveted me to the spot it seemed hard to leave her to such a lonely comfortless home i looked up at it silent and grim it frowned before us a faint red light was gleaming from the lower windows of one wing but all the other windows were in darkness and many exhibited their black cavernous gulfs entirely destitute of glazing or framework do you not find it a desolate place to live in said i after a moment of silent contemplation i do sometimes replied she on winter evenings when arthur is in bed and i am sitting there alone hearing the bleak wind moaning round me and howling through the ruinous old chambers no books or occupations can repress the dismal thoughts and apprehensions that come crowding in but it is folly to give way to such weakness i know if rachel is satisfied with such a life why should not i indeed i cannot be too thankful for such an asylum while it is left me the closing sentence was uttered in an undertone as if spoken rather to herself than to me she then bid me good evening and withdrew i had not proceeded many steps on my way homewards when i perceived mr lawrence on his pretty grey pony coming up the rugged lane that crossed over the hilltop i went a little out of my way to speak to him for we had not met for some time was that mrs graham you were speaking to just now said he after the first few words of greeting had passed between us yes humph i thought so he looked contemplatively at his horse's mane as if he had some serious cause of dissatisfaction with it or something else well what then oh nothing replied he only i thought you disliked her he quietly added curling his classic lip with a slightly sarcastic smile suppose i did mayn't a man change his mind on further acquaintance oh yes of course returned he nicely reducing an entanglement in the pony's redundant hoary mane then suddenly turning to me and fixing his shy hazel eyes upon me with a steady penetrating gaze he added then you have changed your mind i can't say that i have exactly no i think i hold the same opinion respecting her as before but slightly ameliorated oh he looked round for something else to talk about and glancing up at the moon made some remark upon the beauty of the evening which i did not answer as being irrelevant to the subject lawrence said i calmly looking him in the face are you in love with mrs graham 
instead of his being deeply offended at this as i more than half expected he would the first start of surprise at the audacious question was followed by a tittering laugh as if he was highly amused at the idea i in love with her repeated he what makes you dream of such a thing well, from the interest you take in the progress of my acquaintance with the lady and the changes of my opinion concerning her i thought you might be jealous he laughed again jealous no but i thought you were going to marry eliza millward you thought wrong then i am not going to marry either one or the other that i know of then i think you'd better let them alone are you going to marry jane wilson he coloured and played with the mane again but answered no i think not then you had better let her alone she won't let me alone he might have said but he only looked silly and said nothing for the space of half a minute and then made another attempt to turn the conversation and this time i let it pass for he had borne enough another word on the subject would have been like the last atom that breaks the camel's back i was too late for tea but my mother had kindly kept the teapot and muffin warm upon the hobs and though she scolded me a little readily admitted my excuses and when i complained of the flavour of the overdrawn tea she poured the remainder into the slop basin and bade rose put some fresh into the pot and reboil the kettle which offices were performed with great commotion and certain remarkable comments well if it had been me now i should have had no tea at all if it had been fergus even he would have to put up with such as there was and been told to be thankful for it was far too good for him but you we can't do too much for you it's always so if there's anything particularly nice at table mamma winks and nods at me to abstain from it and if i don't attend to that she whispers don't eat so much of that rose gilbert will like it for his supper i'm nothing at all in the parlour it's come rose put away your things and let's have the room nice and tidy against they come in and keep up a good fire gilbert likes a cheerful fire in the kitchen make that pie a large one rose i dare say the boys will be hungry and don't put so much pepper in they'll not like it i'm sure or rose don't put so many spices in the pudding gilbert likes it plain or mind you put plenty of currants in the cake fergus liked plenty if i say well mamma i don't i'm told i ought not to think of myself you know rose in all household matters we have only two things to consider first what's proper to be done and secondly what's most agreeable to the gentlemen of the house anything will do for the ladies and very good doctrine too said my mother gilbert thinks so i'm sure very convenient doctrine for us at all events said i but if you would really study my pleasure mother you must consider your own comfort and convenience a little more than you do as for rose i have no doubt she'll take care of herself and whenever she does make a sacrifice or perform a remarkable act of devotedness she'll take good care to let me know the extent of it but for you i might sink into the grossest condition of self-indulgence and carelessness about the wants of others from the mere habit of being constantly cared for myself and having all my wants anticipated or immediately supplied while left in total ignorance of what is done for me if rose did not enlighten me now and then and i should receive all your kindness as a matter of course and never know how much i owe you ah and you never will know gilbert till you're married then when you've got some trifling self-conceited girl like eliza millward careless of everything but her own immediate pleasure and advantage 
or some misguided obstinate woman like mrs graham ignorant of her principal duties and clever only in what concerns her least to know then you'll find the difference it will do me good mother i was not sent into the world merely to exercise the good capacities and good feelings of others was i but to exert my own towards them and when i marry i shall expect to find more pleasure in making my wife happy and comfortable than in being made so by her i would rather give than receive oh that's all nonsense my dear it's mere boys talk that you'll soon tire of petting and humouring your wife be she ever so charming and then comes the trial well then we must bear one another's burdens then you must fall each into your proper place you'll do your business and she if she's worthy of you will do hers but it's your business to please yourself and hers to please you i'm sure your poor dear father was as good a husband as ever lived and after the first six months or so were over i should as soon have expected him to fly as to put himself out of his way to pleasure me he always said i was a good wife and did my duty and he always did his bless him he was steady and punctual seldom found fault without a reason always did justice to my good dinners and hardly ever spoiled my cookery by delay and that's as much as any woman can expect of any man is it so halford is that the extent of your domestic virtues and does your happy wife exact no more end of chapter six recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter seven of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter seven not many days after this on a mild sunny morning rather soft underfoot for the last fall of snow was only just wasted away leaving yet a thin ridge here and there lingering on the fresh green grass beneath the hedges but beside them already the young primroses were peeping from among their moist dark foliage and the lark above was singing of summer and hope and love and every heavenly thing i was out on the hillside enjoying these delights and looking after the well-being of my young lambs and their mothers when on glancing round me i beheld three persons ascending from the vale below they were eliza millward fergus and rose so i crossed the field to meet them and being told they were going to wildfell hall i declared myself willing to go with them and offering my arm to eliza who readily accepted it in lieu of my brothers told the latter he might go back for i would accompany the ladies i beg your pardon exclaimed he it's the ladies that are accompanying me not i them you had all a peep at this wonderful stranger but me and i could endure my wretched ignorance no longer come what i would i must be satisfied so i begged rose to go with me to the hall and introduce me to her at once she swore she would not unless miss eliza would go too so i ran to the vicarage and fetched her and we've come hooked all the way as fond as a pair of lovers and now you've taken her from me and you want to deprive me of my walk and my visit besides go back to your fields and your cattle you lubberly fellow you're not fit to associate with ladies and gentlemen like us that have nothing to do but to run snooking about to our neighbour's house peeping into their private corners and scenting out their secrets and picking holes in their coats when we don't find them ready-made to our hands you don't understand such refined sources of enjoyment 
can't you both go suggested eliza disregarding the latter half of the speech yes both to be sure cried rose the more the merrier and i'm sure we shall want all the cheerfulness we can carry with us to that great dark gloomy room with its narrow latticed windows and its dismal old furniture unless she shows us into her studio again so we went all in a body and the meagre old maid-servant that opened the door ushered us into an apartment such as rose had described to me as the scene of her first introduction to mrs graham a tolerably spacious and lofty room but obscurely lighted by the old-fashioned windows the ceiling panels and chimney-piece of grim black oak the latter elaborately but not very tastefully carved with tables and chairs to match an old bookcase on one side of the fireplace stocked with a motley assemblage of books and an elderly cabinet piano on the other the lady was seated in a stiff high-backed armchair with a small round table containing a desk and a work-basket on one side of her and her little boy on the other who stood leaning his elbow on her knee and reading to her with wonderful fluency from a small volume that lay in her lap while she rested her hand on his shoulder and abstractedly played with the long wavy curls that fell on his ivory neck they struck me as forming a pleasing contrast to all the surrounding objects but of course their position was immediately changed on our entrance i could only observe the picture during the few brief seconds that rachel held the door for our admittance i do not think mrs graham was particularly delighted to see us there was something indescribably chilly in her quiet calm civility but i did not talk much to her seating myself near the window a little back from the circle i called arthur to me and he and i and sancho amused ourselves very pleasantly together while the two young ladies baited his mother with small talk and fergus sat opposite with his legs crossed and his hands in his breeches pockets leaning back in his chair and staring now up at the ceiling now straight forward at his hostess in a manner that made me strongly inclined to kick him out of the room now whistling sotto voce to himself a snatch of a favourite air now interrupting the conversation or filling up a pause as the case might be with some most impertinent question or remark at one time it was it amazes me mrs graham how you could choose such a dilapidated rickety old place as this to live in if you couldn't afford to occupy the whole house and have it mended up why couldn't you take a neat little cottage perhaps i was too proud mr fergus replied she smiling perhaps i took a particular fancy for this romantic old-fashioned place but indeed it has many advantages over a cottage in the first place you see the rooms are larger and more airy in the second place the unoccupied apartments which i don't pay for may serve as lumber rooms if i have anything to put in them and they are very useful for my little boy to run about in on rainy days when he can't go out and then there is the garden for him to play in and for me to work in you see i have effected some little improvement already continued she turning to the window there is a bed of young vegetables in that corner and here are some snowdrops and primroses already in bloom and there too is a yellow crocus just opening in the sunshine but then how can you bear such a situation your nearest neighbour's two miles distant and nobody looking in or passing by rose would go stark mad in such a place she can't put on life unless she sees half a dozen fresh gowns and bonnets a day not to speak of the faces within but you might sit watching at these windows all day long and never see so much as an old woman carrying her eggs to market 
i am not sure the loneliness of the place was not one of its chief recommendations i take no pleasure in watching people pass the windows and i like to be quiet oh as good as to say you wish we would all of us mind our own business and let you alone no i dislike an extensive acquaintance but if i have a few friends of course i am glad to see them occasionally no one can be happy in eternal solitude therefore mr fergus if you choose to enter my house as a friend i will make you welcome if not i must confess i would rather you kept away she then turned and addressed some observation to rose or eliza and mrs graham said he again five minutes after we were disputing as we came along a question that you can readily decide for us as it mainly regarded yourself and indeed we often hold discussions about you for some of us have nothing better to do than to talk about our neighbours concerns and we the indigenous plants of the soil have known each other so long and talked each other over so often that we are quite sick of that game so that a stranger coming amongst us makes an invaluable addition to our exhausted sources of amusement well the question or questions you are requested to solve hold your tongue fergus cried rose in a fever of apprehension and wrath i won't i tell you the questions you are requested to solve are these first concerning your birth extraction and previous residence some will have it that you are a foreigner and some an englishwoman some a native of the north country and some of the south some say well mr fergus i'll tell you i'm an englishwoman and i don't see why any one should doubt it and i was born in the country neither in the extreme north nor south of our happy isle and in the country i have chiefly passed my life and now i hope you are satisfied for i am not disposed to answer any more questions at present except this no not one more laughed she and instantly quitting her seat she sought refuge at the window by which i was seated and in very desperation to escape my brother's persecutions endeavoured to draw me into conversation mr markham said she her rapid utterance and heightened colour too plainly evincing her disquietude have you forgotten the fine sea-view we were speaking of some time ago i think i must trouble you now to tell me the nearest way to it for if this beautiful weather continue i shall perhaps be able to walk there and take my sketch i have exhausted every other subject for painting and i long to see it i was about to comply with her request but rose would not suffer me to proceed oh don't tell her gilbert cried she she shall go with us it's blank bay you are thinking about i suppose mrs graham it is a very long walk too far for you and out of the question for arthur but we were thinking about making a picnic to see it some fine day and if you will wait till the settled fine weather comes i am sure we shall all be delighted to have you amongst us poor mrs graham looked dismayed and attempted to make excuses but rose either compassionating her lonely life or anxious to cultivate her acquaintance was determined to have her and every objection was overruled she was told it would only be a small party and all friends and that the best view of all was from blank cliffs full five miles distant just a nice walk for the gentlemen continued rose but the ladies will drive and walk by turns for we shall have our pony carriage which will be plenty large enough to contain little arthur and three ladies together with your sketching apparatus and our provisions so the proposal was finally acceded to and after some further discussion respecting the time and manner of the projected excursion we rose and took our leave but this was only march 
a cold wet april and two weeks of may passed over before we could venture on our expedition with the reasonable hope of obtaining that pleasure we sought in pleasant prospects cheerful society fresh air good cheer and exercise without the alloy of bad roads cold winds or threatening clouds then on a glorious morning we gathered our forces and set forth the company consisted of mrs and master graham mary and eliza millward jane and richard wilson and rose fergus and gilbert markham mr lawrence had been invited to join us but for some reason best known to himself had refused to give us his company i had solicited the favour myself when i did so he hesitated and asked who were going upon my naming miss wilson among the rest he seemed half inclined to go but when i mentioned mrs graham thinking it might be a further inducement it appeared to have a contrary effect and he declined it altogether and to confess the truth the decision was not displeasing to me though i could scarcely tell you why it was about midday when we reached the place of our destination mrs graham walked all the way to the cliffs and little arthur walked the greater part of it too for he was now much more hardy and active than when he first entered the neighbourhood and he did not like being in the carriage with strangers while all his four friends mamma and sancho and mr markham and miss millward were on foot journeying far behind or passing through distant fields and lanes i have a very pleasant recollection of that walk along the hard white sunny road shaded here and there with bright green trees and adorned with flowery banks and blossoming hedges of delicious fragrance or through pleasant fields and lanes all glorious in the sweet flowers and brilliant verdure of delightful may it was true eliza was not beside me but she was with her friends in the pony carriage as happy i trusted as i was and even when we pedestrians having forsaken the highway for a short cut across the fields beheld the little carriage far away disappearing amid the green embowering trees i did not hate those trees for snatching the dear little bonnet and shawl from my sight nor did i feel that all those intervening objects lay between my happiness and me for to confess the truth i was too happy in the company of mrs graham to regret the absence of eliza millward the former it is true was most provokingly unsociable at first seemingly bent upon talking to no one but mary millward and arthur she and mary journeyed along together generally with a child between them but where the road permitted i always walked on the other side of her richard wilson taking the other side of miss millward and fergus roving here and there according to his fancy and after a while she became more friendly and at length i succeeded in securing her attention almost entirely to myself and then i was happy indeed for whenever she did condescend to converse i liked to listen where her opinions and sentiments tallied with mine it was her extreme good sense her exquisite taste and feeling that delighted me where they differed it was still her uncompromising boldness in the avowal or defence of that difference her earnestness and keenness that piqued my fancy and even when she angered me by her unkind words or looks and her uncharitable conclusions respecting me it only made me the more dissatisfied with myself for having so unfavourably impressed her and the more desirous to vindicate my character and disposition in her eyes and if possible to win her esteem at length our walk was ended the increasing height and boldness of the hills had for some time intercepted the prospect but on gaining the summit of a steep acclivity 
and looking downward an opening lay before us and the blue sea burst upon our sight deep violet blue not deadly calm but covered with glinting breakers diminutive white specks twinkling on its bosom and scarcely to be distinguished by the keenest vision from the little sea-mews that sported above their white wings glittering in the sunshine only one or two vessels were visible and those were far away i looked at my companion to see what she thought of this glorious scene she said nothing but she stood still and fixed her eyes upon it with a gaze that assured me she was not disappointed she had very fine eyes by the by i don't know whether i have told you before but they were full of soul large clear and nearly black not brown but very dark grey a cool reviving breeze blew from the sea soft pure salubrious it waved her drooping ringlets and imparted a livelier colour to her usually too pallid lip and cheek she felt its exhilarating influence and so did i i felt it tingling through my frame but dared not give way to it while she remained so quiet there was an aspect of subdued exhilaration in her face that kindled into almost a smile of exalted glad intelligence as her eye met mine never had she looked so lovely never had my heart so warmly cleaved to her as now had we been left two minutes longer standing there alone i cannot answer for the consequences happily for my discretion perhaps for my enjoyment during the remainder of the day we were speedily summoned to the repast a very respectable collation which rose assisted by miss wilson and eliza who having shared her seat in the carriage had arrived with her a little before the rest had set out upon an elevated platform overlooking the sea and sheltered from the hot sun by a shelving rock and overhanging trees mrs graham seated herself at a distance from me eliza was my nearest neighbour she exerted herself to be agreeable in her gentle unobtrusive way and was no doubt as fascinating and charming as ever if i could only have felt it but soon my heart began to warm towards her once again and we were all very merry and happy together as far as i could see throughout the protracted social meal when that was over rose summoned fergus to help her to gather up the fragments and the knives dishes etc and restore them to the baskets and mrs graham took her camp-stool and drawing materials and having begged miss millward to take charge of her precious son and strictly enjoined him not to wander from his new guardian's side she left us and proceeded along the steep stony hill to a loftier more precipitous eminence at some distance whence a still finer prospect was to be had where she preferred taking her sketch though some of the ladies told her it was a frightful place and advised her not to attempt it when she was gone i felt as if there was to be no more fun though it is difficult to say what she had contributed to the hilarity of the party no jests and little laughter had escaped her lips but her smile had animated my mirth a keen observation or a cheerful word from her had insensibly sharpened my wits and thrown an interest over all that was done and said by the rest even my conversation with eliza had been enlivened by her presence though i knew it not and now that she was gone eliza's playful nonsense ceased to amuse me nay grew wearisome to my soul and i grew weary of amusing her i felt myself drawn by an irresistible attraction to that distant point where the fair artist sat and plied her solitary task and not long did i attempt to resist it 
while my little neighbour was exchanging a few words with miss wilson i rose and cannily slipped away a few rapid strides and a little active clambering soon brought me to the place where she was seated a narrow ledge of rock at the very verge of the cliff which descended with a steep precipitous slant quite down to the rocky shore she did not hear me coming the falling of my shadow across her paper gave her an electric start and she looked hastily round any other lady of my acquaintance would have screamed under such a sudden alarm oh i didn't know it was you why did you startle me so said she somewhat testily i hate anybody to come upon me so unexpectedly why what did you take me for said i if i had known you were so nervous i would have been more cautious but well never mind what did you come for are they all coming no this little ledge could scarcely contain them all i'm glad for i'm tired of talking well then i won't talk i only sit and watch your drawing oh but you know i don't like that then i'll content myself with admiring this magnificent prospect she made no objection to this and for some time sketched away in silence but i could not help stealing a glance now and then from the splendid view at our feet to the elegant white hand that held the pencil and the graceful neck and glossy raven curls that drooped over the paper now thought i if i had but a pencil and a morsel of paper i could make a lovelier sketch than hers admitting i had the power to delineate faithfully what is before me but though this satisfaction was denied me i was very well content to sit beside her there and say nothing are you there still mr markham said she at length looking round upon me for i was seated a little behind on a mossy projection of the cliff why don't you go and amuse yourself with your friends because i am tired of them like you and i shall have enough of them to-morrow or at any time hence but you i may not have the pleasure of seeing again for i know not how long what was arthur doing when you came away he was with miss millward where you left him all right but hoping mamma would not be long away you didn't entrust him to me by the by i grumbled though i had the honour of a much longer acquaintance but miss millward has the art of conciliating and amusing children i carelessly added if she is good for nothing else miss millward has many estimable qualities which such as you cannot be expected to perceive or appreciate will you tell arthur that i shall come in a few minutes if that be the case i will wait with your permission till those few minutes are past and then i can assist you to descend this difficult path thank you i always manage best on such occasions without assistance but at least i can carry your stool and sketch-book she did not deny me this favour but i was rather offended at her evident desire to be rid of me and was beginning to repent of my pertinacity when she somewhat appeased me by consulting my taste and judgment about some doubtful matter in her drawing my opinion happily met her approbation and the improvement i suggested was adopted without hesitation i have often wished in vain said she for another's judgment to appeal to when i could scarcely trust the direction of my own eye and head they having been so long occupied with the contemplation of a single object as to become almost incapable of forming a proper idea respecting it that replied i is only one of many evils to which a solitary life exposes it true said she and again we relapsed into silence about two minutes after however she declared her sketch completed and closed the book on returning to the scene of our repast we found all the company had deserted it with the exception of three 
mary millward richard wilson and arthur graham the younger gentleman lay fast asleep with his head pillowed on the lady's lap the other was seated beside her with a pocket edition of some classic author in his hand he never went anywhere without such a companion wherewith to improve his leisure moments all time seemed lost that was not devoted to study or exacted by his physical nature for the bare support of life even now he could not abandon himself to the enjoyment of that pure air and balmy sunshine the splendid prospect and those soothing sounds the music of the waves and of the soft wind in the sheltering trees above him not even with a lady by his side though not a very charming one i will allow he must pull out his book and make the most of his time while digesting his temperate meal and reposing his weary limbs unused to so much exercise perhaps however he spared a moment to exchange a word or a glance with his companion now and then at any rate she did not appear at all resentful of his conduct for her homely features wore an expression of unusual cheerfulness and serenity and she was studying his pale thoughtful face with great complacency when we arrived the journey homeward was by no means so agreeable to me as the former part of the day for now mrs graham was in the carriage and eliza millward was the companion of my walk she had observed my preference for the young widow and evidently felt herself neglected she did not manifest her chagrin by keen reproaches bitter sarcasms or pouting sullen silence any or all of these i could easily have endured or lightly laughed away but she showed it by a kind of gentle melancholy a mild reproachful sadness that cut me to the heart i tried to cheer her up and apparently succeeded in some degree before the walk was over but in the very act my conscience reproved me knowing as i did that sooner or later the tie must be broken and this was only nourishing false hopes and putting off the evil day when the pony carriage had approached as near wildfell hall as the road would permit unless indeed it proceeded up the long rough lane which mrs graham would not allow the young widow and her son alighted relinquishing the driver's seat to rose and i persuaded eliza to take the latter's place having put her comfortably in bid her take care of the evening air and wished her a kind good-night i felt considerably relieved and hastened to offer my services to mrs graham to carry her apparatus up the fields but she had already hung her camp-stool on her arm and taken her sketch-book in her hand and insisted upon bidding me adieu then and there with the rest of the company but this time she declined my proffered aid in so kind and friendly a manner that i almost forgave her end of chapter seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eight of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eight six weeks had passed away it was a splendid morning about the close of june most of the hay was cut but the last week had been very unfavourable and now that fine weather was come at last being determined to make the most of it i had gathered all hands together into the hayfield and was working away myself in the midst of them in my shirt-sleeves with a light shady straw hat on my head catching up armfuls of moist reeking grass and shaking it out to the four winds of heaven at the head of a goodly file of servants and hirelings 
intending so to labour from morning till night with as much zeal and assiduity as i could look for from any of them as well to prosper the work by my own exertion as to animate the workers by my example when lo my resolutions were overthrown in a moment by the simple fact of my brother's running up to me and putting into my hand a small parcel just arrived from the london which i had been for some time expecting i tore off the cover and disclosed an elegant and portable edition of marmion i guess i know who that's for said fergus who stood looking on while i complacently examined the volume that's for miss eliza now he pronounced this with a tone and look so prodigiously knowing that i was glad to contradict him you're wrong my lad said i and taking up my coat i deposited the book in one of its pockets and then put it on that is the coat now come here you idle dog and make yourself useful for once i continued pull off your coat and take my place in the field till i come back till you come back and where are you going pray no matter where the when is all that concerns you and i shall be back by dinner at least oh oh and i'm to labour away till then am i and to keep all these fellows hard at it besides well well i'll submit for once in a way come my lads you must look sharp i'm come to help you now and woe be to that man or woman either that pauses for a moment amongst you whether to stare about him to scratch his head or blow his nose no pretext will serve nothing but work 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 in the sweat of your face etc etc leaving him thus haranguing the people more to their amusement than edification i returned to the house and having made some alteration in my toilet hastened away to wildfell hall with the book in my pocket for it was destined for the shelves of mrs graham what then had she and you got on so well together as to come to the giving and receiving of presents not precisely old buck this was my first experiment in that line and i was very anxious to see the result of it we had met several times since the blank bay excursion and i had found she was not averse to my company provided i confined my conversation to the discussion of abstract matters or topics of common interest the moment i touched upon the sentimental or the complimentary or made the slightest approach to tenderness in word or look i was not only punished by an immediate change in her manner at the time but doomed to find her more cold and distant if not entirely inaccessible when next i sought her company this circumstance did not greatly disconcert me however because i attributed it not so much to any dislike of my person as to some absolute resolution against a second marriage formed prior to the time of our acquaintance whether from excess of affection for her late husband or because she had had enough of him and the matrimonial state altogether at first indeed she had seemed to take a pleasure in mortifying my vanity and crushing my presumption relentlessly nipping off bud by bud as they ventured to appear and then i confess i was deeply wounded though at the same time stimulated to seek revenge but latterly finding beyond a doubt that i was not that empty-headed coxcomb she had first supposed me she had repulsed my modest advances in quite a different spirit it was the kind of serious almost sorrowful displeasure which i soon learnt carefully to avoid awakening let me first establish my position as a friend thought i the patron and playfellow of her son the sober solid plain-dealing friend of herself and then when i have made myself fairly necessary to her comfort and enjoyment in life as i believe i can we'll see what next may be effected 
so we talked about painting poetry and music theology geology and philosophy once or twice i lent her a book and once she lent me one in return i met her in her walks as often as i could i came to her house as often as i dared my first pretext for invading the sanctum was to bring arthur a little waddling puppy of which sancho was the father and which delighted the child beyond expression and consequently could not fail to please his mamma my second was to bring him a book which knowing his mother's particularity i had carefully selected and which i submitted for her approbation before presenting it to him then i brought her some plants for her garden in my sister's name having previously persuaded rose to send them each of these times i inquired after the picture she was painting from the sketch taken on the cliff and was admitted into the studio and asked my opinion or advice respecting its progress my last visit had been to return the book she had lent me and then it was that in casually discussing the poetry of sir walter scott she had expressed a wish to see marmion and i had conceived the presumptuous idea of making her a present of it and on my return home instantly sent for the smart little volume i had this morning received but an apology for invading the hermitage was still necessary so i had furnished myself with a blue morocco collar for arthur's little dog and that being given and received with much more joy and gratitude on the part of the receiver than the worth of the gift or the selfish motive of the giver deserved i ventured to ask mrs graham for one more look at the picture if it was still there oh yes come in said she for i had met them in the garden it is finished and framed all ready for sending away but give me your last opinion and if you can suggest any further improvement it shall be duly considered at least the picture was strikingly beautiful it was the very scene itself transferred as if by magic to the canvas but i expressed my approbation in guarded terms and few words for fear of displeasing her she however attentively watched my looks and her artist's pride was gratified no doubt to read my heartfelt admiration in my eyes but while i gazed i thought upon the book and wondered how it was to be presented my heart failed me but i determined not to be such a fool as to come away without having made the attempt it was useless waiting for an opportunity and useless trying to concoct a speech for the occasion the more plainly and naturally the thing was done the better i thought so i just looked out of the window to screw up my courage and then pulled out the book turned round and put it into her hand with this short explanation you were wishing to see marmion mrs graham and here it is if you will be so kind as to take it a momentary blush suffused her face perhaps a blush of sympathetic shame for such an awkward style of presentation she gravely examined the volume on both sides then silently turned over the leaves knitting her brows the while in serious cogitation then closed the book and turning from it to me quietly asked the price of it i felt the hot blood rush to my face i'm sorry to offend you mr markham said she but unless i pay for the book i cannot take it and she laid it on the table why cannot you because she paused and looked at the carpet why cannot you i repeated with a degree of irascibility that roused her to lift her eyes and look me steadily in the face because i don't like to put myself under obligations that i can never repay i am obliged to you already for your kindness to my son but his grateful affection and your own good feelings must reward you for that nonsense ejaculated i she turned her eyes on me again with a look of quiet grave surprise 
that had the effect of a rebuke whether intended for such or not then you won't take the book i asked more mildly than i had yet spoken i will gladly take it if you will let me pay for it i told her the exact price and the cost of the carriage besides in as calm a tone as i could command for in fact i was ready to weep with disappointment and vexation she produced her purse and coolly counted out the money but hesitated to put it into my hand attentively regarding me in a tone of soothing softness she observed you think yourself insulted mr markham i wish i could make you understand that that i i do understand you perfectly i said you think that if you were to accept that trifle from me now i should presume upon it hereafter but you are mistaken if you will only oblige me by taking it believe me i shall build no hopes upon it and consider this no precedent for future favours and it is nonsense to talk about putting yourself under obligations to me when you must know that in such a case the obligation is entirely on my side the favour on yours well then i'll take you at your word she answered with a most angelic smile returning the odious money to her purse but remember i will remember what i have said but do not you punish my presumption by withdrawing your friendship entirely from me or expect me to atone for it by being more distant than before said i extending my hand to take leave for i was too much excited to remain well then let us be as we were replied she frankly placing her hand in mine and while i held it there i had much difficulty to refrain from pressing it to my lips but that would be suicidal madness i had been bold enough already and this premature offering had well-nigh given the death-blow to my hopes it was with an agitated burning heart and brain that i hurried homewards regardless of that scorching noonday sun forgetful of everything but her i had just left regretting nothing but her impenetrability and my own precipitancy and want of tact fearing nothing but her hateful resolution and my inability to overcome it hoping nothing but halt i will not bore you with my conflicting hopes and fears my serious cogitations and resolves end of chapter eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill